Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. I tell you what, minor metals are always interesting markets and they love a drama. So this week's episode saw China announce that as of the 1st of August, exports of gallium and germanium would not be permitted without state approval. I've been discussing for a while how metals are moving to the forefront of geopolitics, hence all the critical mineral strategies we've seen, and this is a prime example. Security of supply in raw materials is crucial as global markets continue to segment. And the timing of this announcement from China is not coincidental, given recent chip export restrictions announced by ESML in the Netherlands, amongst others, and that's despite aggressive Chinese lobbying. Quite simply, look, if you won't give us chips, we won't give you the materials to make those chips. And this is important. Uh, China's responsible for 95% or so of global gallium output. That's a higher proportion than for rare earths, which get a lot of press. And also about 65% of germanium output. So unsurprisingly, both metals are generally on critical mineral lists, given the geographical concentration of supply creates natural vulnerabilities in supply chains. So now we wait to see how the forthcoming state approval will be for Chinese exports. I'd note that companies such as Tongmei, the the subsidiary of AXT in China, has already stated plans to seek permits to export. And the approval process for this is much the same as in place already for rare earths, and we do still see rare earths flow to market. Even so, when issues like this come to the forefront, we do expect some efforts to be made to boost ex-China supply, or potentially demand alternatives be, to be considered. Let's discuss the two, and, and let's start with germanium. It's, it's a common element in transistors, but you do have more traditional silicon alternatives available, not to the same performance level though. Taking that aside, the majority of germanium is used in optical fibres, and there's going to be some efforts to thrift there undeniably. I'd also expect developed world copper and zinc smelters being incentivized to boost germanium recovery, potentially by a government funding. And just one thing to flag here, miners themselves generally see little benefit indeed. Having too high a germanium content often attracts a penalty in metal concentrates. Shifting to gallium, this is potentially a bigger issue. China's absolutely dominant in supply and the superconducting properties of gallium are crucial to various electronic technologies. We can see a boost to e-waste scrap recovery support, but even so we'll need to see a gallium response from ex-China. And that means aluminum refineries. That's where gallium can be extracted from the caustic liqueur. There's little capex impediment, but it could take 12 to 18 months for a response. There did used to be gallium recovery facilities at ex-China refineries, such as Pinjara in Australia, but China's dominance and lower costs saw an end to that. And from a policy standpoint in China, interesting to note that new alumina refineries have been forced to install gallium recovery circuits, showing that China's security of supply approach has been a long-term one. If I were running an ex-China alumina refinery at the moment, I might be asking governments or even semiconductor manufacturers for some funding for gallium recovery. So shifting gears, many of the client queries coming through over the past couple of weeks have still been relating to China's stimulus potential. When? How much? What sectors? Big bazooka? Bits and pieces? What's the aim? 
So there's lots to digest and, and think about. Our base case remains that stimulus will be steady announcements over time to support sectors that are struggling. A safety net, if you want, for the economy, rather than a trampoline. Given this, there might be no clear trends or indeed market reaction to stimulus measures. However, it's fair to say the probability of a larger old-school stimulus package is rising a little bit. President Xi clearly loath to push one through, given the potential distraction from longer-term economic and structural reforms he has been putting through for many years now. There's also the worry that letting property developers off the leash again will allow them to relearn bad habits pretty quickly. I'd highlight that at the end of last week, China's Minister of Housing, Ni Hong, published an article outlining the department's long-term view of the China property market. They said that rather than new bills, developers and local governments should focus on improving the quality of existing housing stock and providing more affordable housing. And conversion of existing commercial inventories into public rentals will be crucial for restructuring property supply as well. Shantytown renovations and repairing out old city centres. So thinking about it, that's positive for property completions. It's another signal that the pipeline, though, of new residential property is not likely to be replenished. And this is a 2024 problem. What might China do in terms of stimulus measures? Well, we might see minimum wages pushed up to help consumption, uh, maybe some debt equity swaps to give local governments more time to think about doing growth projects rather than paying debt. Still isn't the China sport of old. What could cause a shift in President Xi's hawkish position and, and larger, more urgent policy measures? Well, essentially, concerns over unrest. And with recent events in Russia perhaps bringing this front and centre of mind. Uh, also, well, the latest PBOC Urban Household Survey that showed the Employment Sentiment Index, which reflects the outlook on the current job market, fell to just 37.6, while indices measuring current and future income sentiment were also in contraction. That's not good. Key thing to watch for now to see any larger stimulus would be statements from President Xi himself around safeguarding national stability. If we saw that, the credit taps would start flowing again. Okay, let's say we do get some form of China stimulus. How do you play this through commodities? Well, the traditional way is iron ore being the most exposed China commodity. However, that was in the days when China stimulus meant telling property developers to build stuff and banks to lend into this process. Now, the focus is on completions and the wider emphasis on keeping the property developers in check, as I mentioned before. This playbook looks a bit dated. And at the moment, I'd actually argue the iron ore spot price already has some stimulus expectation built into it. We're entering the hot and wet summer season in China, where construction activity naturally slows down. And if you look over the past two years, China's blast furnace output in August has been about 100 million tonnes annualised below that seen in June. That's 150 million tonnes of iron ore equivalent. China is a seasonal northern hemisphere industrial economy now, and metals demand trends match this. Ominously for iron ore, our latest data shows that after the usual second quarter draw, rebar inventories at Chinese steel traders are now rising. This point of inflection has been a challenge for spot iron ore prices in the past. When steel traders see inventories rise, they stop ordering from mills. And faced with this, those mills that start that produce rebar for the construction sector, they start thinking about cutting production and stop ordering iron ore. And I would argue they are the marginal price setter of iron ore on any given day. And this comes in an iron ore market where Chinese imports from outside Australia, Brazil and South Africa are up 50 million tonnes annualised from end of 2022 levels. So it's a problem. 
and consumption is dropping, the low levels of mill inventory that are often talked about don't matter as much. So all things, other things being equal, expect reasonable downside in iron ore over the coming weeks. For China's stimulus, given a lack of available inventory and a likely boost to energy transition-related demand, I'd rather have some optionality around copper. Finally this week, since the last Metal Martyrs, we have published our latest metals and bulk commodity price forecasts. And it's fair to say 2023 to date has been a challenging one for the sector, with the post-pandemic demand push well and truly in the rearview mirror, and expectations for the global industrial economy continuing to slide. So across most geographies and end use sectors, visibility on second half order books remains relatively weak. Despite that, I mean, absolute prices are by no means terrible, and the industry as a whole continues to generate pretty good free cash. We have a slightly defensive bias around commodity positioning, but would highlight that for some of the industrial commodities, sentiment is now a little bit too bearish relative to underlying fundamentals at the moment. So having some optionality around potential policy response, particularly from China, as we discussed previously, would seem sensible. Gold and silver continue to quietly perform well. We edge prices up a little bit there. But in the main, it was a downgrade round, given lower demand expectations. Nothing overly significant other than perhaps a 15% cut to our long-run cobalt assumption, given poorer fundamentals. But we would note that consensus expectations in the second half around aluminium and thermal coal do seem a little too high. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. We are here to inform, so any topics you'd like to see covered do just let me know and please join me again soon to discuss more pertinent issues in these ever-changing global metals and bulk commodity markets. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton at bmo.com. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure.